0: Welcome to Shorty's, a short true crime story. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you. So we got some serious stories today. Yeah, we got a double. I have a story and you have a story. Mm-hmm. So the battle of the stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm my- kidding.
1: That's not at all the case, how this works. Girls empowering girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're new here, that's not what this that's is. That's not what we are like. <laughs> um, so my story today is full transparency. It's a present day ongoing case. Therefore, okay. we don't have an ending. Okay. So my goal is to bring attention to this story and to the suspicious and contradictory details and how despite being failed by the system, there is a father out there who refuses to rest until he can get answers about what happened to his child. So we are in Buckeye, Arizona on June 23rd, 2021. A 24-year-old field geologist named Daniel Robinson arrives at a work site in the Buckeye Desert around 9 a.m. The site was half a mile from Cactus Road and Sun Valley Parkway. It began to rain, which halted their work, and Daniel and his co-worker discussed waiting out the rain, and then Daniel started acting a little odd. He stared off into the desert and asked his coworker if they should just go rest. A few minutes later, Daniel asked again, this time suggesting they drive to Phoenix to rest. And Phoenix is like a 40 minute drive from where they are. And his coworker's like, What are you talking about? We have work to do. We need to just like wait out the rain. But not long after that, Daniel got into his 2017 gray blue Jeep Renegade and drove off without a word. The coworker noted that Daniel had only been at the site for about 15 minutes and he was concerned when he realized that when driving away, Daniel actually drove west, even though there was nothing but vast desert in that direction. It's believed that that was the last that anyone saw him. By 7 p.m. that evening, Daniel's coworkers had already informed his family that he'd left work suddenly that morning and hadn't been heard from since. His family began calling and texting, but when they couldn't reach him... One of his sisters drove to his apartment only to find that he wasn't there. This is when Daniel's father, all the way in South Carolina, called the police to report his son is missing. The Buckeye police conduct a search of the immediate area of the job site and they find nothing. The following day, they attempt to track the GPS data from Daniel's Jeep with no success. They also attempt to ping Daniel's cell phone again with no success. For the next several weeks, they conduct ground searches, aerial searches, and investigate Daniel's life, financial records, they search his apartment, and they interview co-workers, family, and friends. Daniel had no medical or mental history to note, and his friends and family have no reason to believe that he would ever harm himself or others. However, in the days leading up to his disappearance, a handful of loved ones noted some oddities from him. For instance, his sister said there was a day that Daniel came to her apartment for a visit, but once there, he wouldn't speak or engage. She stated she tried talking to him, but he just sat there for about 30 minutes, not responding, and then he just got up and left. Around the same time, he told his family about a woman that he had just met and fallen in love with, and he said they were in a relationship. His family hadn't met her yet, so when police interview her, They're surprised to hear how different her version of events turned out to be. The woman told the police that on June 12th, so this is 11 days before his disappearance, the woman and her friend were at home and ordered something through Instacart, the grocery delivery service. She stated that Daniel, a man that she didn't know, showed up as the delivery driver. And that was something he did. That was like a side gig he did. Okay. The woman said Daniel was very nice. So she and her friend invited him inside to hang out, which he did. She admits to police that they were drunk at the time and that she realizes in hindsight she should not have invited a stranger inside. They hung out for a while and then Daniel left. However, Daniel texted her later and stated that he had forgotten something on her porch and the woman responded and told him that she would leave it out there and he was welcome to come back to get it at his convenience. But then Daniel started texting her regularly And a few times he showed up at her home uninvited and unannounced, which made her very uncomfortable. On June 17th, he texted her and said, I couldn't stop thinking about you. Two days later, on June 19th, he texted her again and asked, can we hang out? A few hours later, just after midnight, he texted her again and said, I love you. The following day, he texted her again and she finally responded and said, quote, Honestly, you showing up at my house unannounced made me extremely uncomfortable. I will not be home today, but I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. Daniel responded by asking if she had any doubts, and she ignored the message. The following day, Daniel texted her again, telling her that he was outside her house. The pair texted back and forth for hours, and finally Daniel asked if she hated him. She responded and said, I don't hate you, but please leave me alone. And he responded with, you're right. The next day on June 22nd, so this is the day before he went missing, he sent his final text message to her that read, quote, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. Daniel's father, David, remembers during a phone call with his son a day or two before he went missing, where Daniel mentioned the woman. He told his dad how and when they met and alluded to them being an item. David didn't suspect anything is off and he felt like it was a normal father-son conversation about a new love interest. When police later revealed to David the woman's side of the story, he said it bothered him a lot. If he had known Daniel was making someone uncomfortable, it would have been discussed and acknowledged because that wouldn't fly with his dad. On July 19th, so this is 26 days after Daniel went missing, A rancher corralling his cattle happened upon Daniel's mangled Jeep down a ravine, only three miles from the worksite he'd last been seen. The Jeep was on its side, windows smashed, airbags deployed, and contents from the vehicle strewn about, so it looks like a crash site. But Daniel was not inside, nor was he anywhere near the vehicle. The vehicle landed on its passenger side, and it was still in the drive gear. The driver's seatbelt was buckled at the time of impact. There was no blood or signs of an injury having taken place. The sunroof panel had been kicked out from the inside. Inside the vehicle, they found Daniel's cell phone, laptop, jugs of water, his car keys and his apartment keys, his wallet and a backpack with his work equipment in it. They also found a hard hat turned upside down full of rainwater. On the outside of the vehicle, they found an inside out t-shirt, a pair of inside out socks, inside out jeans, a pair of brown work boots, and a faded orange vest. So with the realization that it had clearly rained during or after the crash, it's hard to know if any evidence had been washed away. So it was clear that he stripped down his clothing that he had been working in that day. It appeared to be. And I think that the reason they think that is because because the wallet was found in his jean pocket. Got it. And also when everything is turned inside out, I just assume it just being a, yeah. a quick removal. Yeah, removing it. In October 2021, the vehicle crash collision report was delivered to police, and it notes that the speed of the vehicle increased seconds before impact. They believe this might mean that the driver was attempting to increase speed to go up the other side of the ravine. After the impact, the car system recorded 46 ignition cycles, which could indicate the driver was repeatedly trying to restart the vehicle. However, There's no record of how many times the police would have also done that as they were removing and towing the vehicle after processing it. So we don't really have any way of knowing how many times the driver did it versus how many times the police may have done it. The vehicle system shows this is the one and only crash that the vehicle endured, but there is an 11 mile discrepancy on the odometer in the system's crash report, which suggests that the vehicle was driven 11 miles after the airbags deployed. Although Jeep dealership service departments have stated the discrepancy is not that unusual because, you know, it's a, it's a newer vehicle. So there's like lots of sensors that are all like kind of firing off. firing off and there can be a delay and stuff like that. And also 11 miles doesn't seem like it's
1: um, that big of a discrepancy, which means it could just be something off like that. Yeah, it could be
0: something just like electrical. Mm-hmm. Although Daniel's father doesn't accept that this isn't a very crucial clue as to what may have happened. David even hired a PI who specializes in vehicle collisions named Jeff McGrath. And after going over the report, the PI and David both believe that the damage done to Daniel's car does not match the layout of the ravine. Based off the collision report in the vehicle's internal system report, the PI believes that Daniel's car crashed in another location where the airbags deployed. He believes the vehicle was then driven to the location where that rancher eventually found it and an accident scene was staged. Which I think is pretty compelling, given the fact that the Jeep was found three miles from Daniel's last known location. And yet all the police and volunteer searches, which included aerial searches, never came across the vehicle. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then an eyewitness came forward. A man who stated that on the afternoon of June 23rd, while he was out in the desert looking for a good spot to do target shooting, came across Daniel driving his undamaged Jeep Renegade. He stated that he and Daniel had a brief, normal and pleasant interaction before parting ways. However, there's no real way to verify if this man's account is true. The police, the PI, Daniel's family, no one can really confirm it as true or false. So it's worth noting his statement, but it's important to remember it can't be verified given the location in which this all took place in the middle of the desert with no one and nothing around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by then, this, this story had already made the news, so there's kind of speculation that, you know, the way people insert themselves Absolutely. into into things like that. So you just got to take it with a grain of salt. The Buckeye Police Department considers this an ongoing investigation, and they state that they are actively working on it and following up with leads and tips. But given how small their department is, the chief of police believes there may be more to the story or elements that perhaps they are unequipped to handle. So on November 23rd, 2021, exactly five months after Daniel was last seen, the FBI was briefed on the case. This is a somewhat positive sign. However, Daniel's parents, his older brother, and twin sisters all agree the investigation into Daniel's whereabouts has not been thorough enough. David has committed himself to getting the answers that law enforcement has failed to get. He left his home in South Carolina and now lives in Arizona in order to continue search efforts. The PI he initially hired was strictly for the vehicle collision report. So David is raising money in order to hire a PI that specializes in missing persons cases. David served two tours in Afghanistan, and he told Fox News that despite being retired, it doesn't change what he's been taught. He said, quote, just because I'm retired doesn't mean I stopped being a soldier. My son, he's my mission. He's my new mission. And on that note, I want to read a direct quote of David's that he has listed on the website that he set up for his son. Please help find Daniel.com. He said, quote, as an Afghanistan veteran, I watched the U.S. find Osama bin Laden while thousands of Americans go missing every year without being found. This is especially true for people of color. The disparities are overwhelming. My son is among the Americans that law enforcement don't find. I believe that getting your own household in order is key to any success this country has. American army creed dictates to never leave a fallen comrade on the battlefield. My son, an American geologist, will not be left behind, especially on American soil. I'm an American soldier for life. I raised my right hand to defend this country. I am also a father for life by birthright to defend my children from enemies foreign and domestic and to challenge anything and anyone who disrupts our way of life. I founded the Daniel Robinson Foundation, birthed by the love of my son. Daniel is a person who, when seeing a way to help others, will not hesitate to do so. There are many families going through exactly and more than what me and my family is going through. The Daniel Robinson Foundation will make the distressed families go to find their loved ones a little less painful, while narrowing the gap that people of color face. Every family deserves equal treatment no matter where they come from. The Daniel Robinson Foundation will do its part to provide help for families who experience this injustice. Unquote. If you have any information regarding Daniel's whereabouts or what happened to him that day, you can contact the Buckeye Police Department at 623 349-6411. If you would like to get involved in search efforts, you can visit pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. In the website's contact section, they have an anonymous tip area where you can provide any information you may have. You can also call or text your tip to 844-602-0660. If you would like to donate to the GoFundMe that the Robinson family has set up to help combat the costs of their continued search efforts, you can go to the link that I have attached in this episode's description. Please consider how you might be able to help in this case, whether it's volunteering your time or donating money or simply spreading the word. Daniel's family deserves answers and Daniel himself deserves more than this. Gabby Petito, a 22 year old white woman went missing in August of 2021, two months after Daniel, a black 24 year old man also went missing. We all know how extensively Gabby's case was covered, and yet this is the first time that many of you have even heard Daniel's case. This needs to change, and it starts with you talking about him. Repost this story. Tell this story to as many people as you can. It's no sacrifice on your part, but it can mean all the difference to Daniel and his loved ones. Daniel's family says that he was a happy, adventurous soul. He wanted to travel abroad, live in different countries, and experience the world. He loved exploring and adding to his rock collection. Daniel had been born without his right hand, but his dad says that didn't slow him down whatsoever. He still learned to play and beat his siblings in video games. He learned to play the trumpet, the French horn, and he played football. If Daniel wanted to learn something, nothing stopped him. If the opportunity for adventure and exploring presented itself, Daniel would seize it without a second thought. However, he was extremely close with his family and they were always in regular communication. So, Daniel going off without a word is highly unusual for him. His loved ones don't want his case dismissed in any way for any reason, and they do not want the public making assumptions about his mental state or his desire for last minute exploring. He is loved and sorely missed. So, I will be keeping tabs on this case, and when new details emerge, I'll be sure to mention it on the podcast. And if you're interested in keeping tabs on the case too, then please feel free to message us on Instagram at Shorty's Podcast. If you come across any updates or details that I may have missed, um, don't hesitate to send it to me. So I want to close this with another quote from Daniel's father. David said, quote, When the lights and cameras turn off, I will be here. When the interest in conversation fades, I will be here. When there's no one around, a father will do anything it takes to be there for his son to protect his family.
1: What an incredible man
0: and father, a devotion to his son, and it's what you hope every parent <laughs> yeah. would be like for their it, child. Yeah. It's such an unimaginable experience that I know that no parent ever wants to face, no one no parent ever expects to face. Mm-hmm. And it's really wonderful that he he just refuses to leave his son behind.
1: Yeah, refuses to
0: give up. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, should I go? Yeah. <laughs> Am I up? Today I will be sharing the story of Gilberto Valley, also known as the cannibal cop. Oh. <laughs> you know, that <it> sounds great. <laughs> um, actually, like on a weird note though, um, I've always been like fascinated but also like thought cannibalism was a lot more like prevalent in adult life or something because I watched this documentary on New Guinea when I was really little.
0: Oh kind of like when you're a kid and you think like uh, quicksand quicksand is going to be a big deal. I thought I was going to have
1: to like really avoid the cannibals as an adult (laughs) and so far that I know of I haven't had to I haven't come across any. Okay. But you also never know because they're hiding in plain sight sometimes. And you said he's a cop so I, I guess they could also be in law enforcement. Exactly. They also could be our protectors okay cool so one day in the summer of 2012 kathleen mangan found herself home alone she opened up her laptop and saw that her husband hadn't logged out of whatever he was looking at oh oh, i know, uh-oh. I know. Uh-oh. i'm uh-oh. like i'm like did you happen to just look at the computer when you were home alone or were you looking at the computer when you were home alone <laughs>
0: yeah
1: she had noticed right before this that he had begun clearing his search history And she was beginning to feel a little bit suspicious about this.
0: Oh, so she didn't happen. No, she didn't happen upon anything. Don't worry. Which I respect. (laughs) We've all been there, girl. We've all been there. And on that day, Gilberto
1: had forgotten to hide what he had been searching. Kathleen clicked on the two files in the laptop desktop and found that while the images were not loading, they did show the URL that the pictures had come from. She clicked on the link and was taken directly to a pornographic website called dark fetish network so many different thoughts and emotions were going through her head you know like a lot of people like bdsm or have interesting fetishes and everyone was currently obsessed with 50 shades of gray at the time so
0: okay <laughs> people
1: weren't kink shaming as much yeah um but this wasn't bdsm the girl on the front page was dead oh uh-oh <laughs> oh
0: whoa, yeah. no yeah
1: Kathleen met Gilberto Valley on OK Cupid in 2009. He was an upbeat, sweet cop that lived with his father in Queens, and she was working in East Harlem as a Teach for America recruit. He had a very normal childhood and had always been popular and well-liked. He played baseball and made the dean's list during his time at the University of Maryland. Gilberto appeared to be the total package. Everything seemed too good to be true at first, and their relationship got really serious really fast. Pretty early on, they moved in together and became dog parents to a bulldog. Kathleen loved the early stages of their relationship. He was a gentleman, and they always had a great time together. Everything seemed to change once she became pregnant. Gilberto panicked and straight up told her that he couldn't do it. Oh, he's one of those. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those. He seemed miserable and so inconvenienced by it all. Once the baby was born, Gilberto remained as disinterested as he was throughout the pregnancy. Kick him to the curb, real. He never helped with the baby, and he began to avoid her completely. He would go on the internet until like 4 or 5 a.m. and play video games instead of spending time with his family. Kathleen said their sex life fell apart, and she couldn't figure out what she was doing. He rarely took any interest in sex, and when he did, he could never finish and would end up running to the bathroom. She just didn't know what to do. Everything was falling apart, and it seemed like he wasn't even attracted to her anymore. It was becoming more and more obvious that he was having an affair. Kathleen quickly confronted him about the sites that he had been visiting, and instead of losing her mind, she wanted to know what she could do about it. She even suggested that they go shopping for sex toys together. He seemed super enthusiastic about this suggestion, and it gave Kathleen hope that things would start improving now that they had just communicated. Wait, you said after she found the sites? Yes, so she was trying to um, keep an open mind and be like, okay, well, he never wants to have sex with me and this is what he's interested in. So maybe I can spice up our sex life to kind of like get things going again.
0: Oh my God.
1: But this didn't end up being a classic case of all, you know, all we had to do was talk about it. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, no. It doesn't end there.
0: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> she could not get the images of the dead woman out of her head. She knew that she had no choice but to do more digging. Kathleen installed a spyware on their computer so that she could see what else her husband had been up to. girlsinabind.com fetlife.com darkfetishnet.com She saw all the websites her husband had been spending his time on. All those nights that he was sitting in front of the computer until four or five in the morning while she slept alone in their bed. This is what he was doing. As she continued to dig, she discovered the instant message chats. Her husband had been sending images of her, her friends, and other people that she knew, along with detailed messages about what her husband wanted to do to her.
0: Oh my God. He
1: discussed tying her up by her feet and slitting her throat and how fun it would be to watch the blood gush out of her. If she screamed, he would just gag her. Oh my God, i want to vomit. It makes you, it makes you sick. Oh. Kathleen was in utter shock. How, like, how was this real? She couldn't believe what she was reading. All she knew was that she had to leave and take her baby with her. Kathleen booked their flights to her parents' house in Nevada, a place that she knew she'd be far away and safe from her husband. Her gut knew that what she had seen hadn't been the last of it. When she got to her parents' house, she logged into the spyware program again. She found countless images of women being sexually assaulted and brutally tortured. Google searches for things like human meat recipes how to chloroform a girl and how to kidnap a woman amongst images of severed feet and tons of searches on asphyxiation. Gilberto's nickname on these chat rooms was girl meat hunter. Very uh, creative. Yeah. Dude. Kathleen, I know we're criticizing that. <laughs> Couldn't have come up with anything better, Gil. I just want to <laughs> criticize all of it. Yeah, that's fair. Kathleen knew that she needed to turn over the information that she had found over to the NYPD. This wasn't some classic case of husband leading a double life and flirting with other women online. The FBI took over, and on October 25, 2015, Gilberto Valle was arrested for conspiracy to commit kidnapping. The transcripts were read in the courtroom, and his wife was there to testify. Kathleen discussed a particular email where her husband wanted to kidnap three women and rape them in front of each other to heighten their fear, before cooking them alive over an open fire. Detailed messages describing his wife's slow and painful death, but she wasn't the only woman that her husband fantasized about murdering and eating. Gilberto had also mentioned a friend of Kathleen's, his supervisor at the precinct, a few of his college friends, and a teenage girl that had just graduated from the high school that he had gone to. Transcripts describe how Gilberto wanted to eat girl meat for Thanksgiving and how tasty a woman's legs would look cooking in the oven. He went into great detail about how he would cook the women and that he planned on keeping them alive for as long as possible for optimal flavor. There was an exchange between Gilberto and an email address. This is a horrible email address. Um, it's meatmarketman at rocketmill.com. What Don't send idiot. them an email like I actually did. You know, when they do like the hyperlink? Yeah. I actually clicked it. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, 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 <laughs> sir. I'm not going down this path. No. The subject of the email is Kathleen is 26 and she's a teacher. The exchange goes into detail about how much she would charge to sell his wife to this man. He sends pictures of Kathleen and they're casually going back and forth about how women have a surprising amount of fat on them. And that meat market man would prefer something meaty. Oh, fuck off. Like now you're also going to fat shame us. I know. I I said that too. (laughs) I was like, god damn, Gil. (laughs) You can't get it right. But I feel like that exchange took it to a whole other level because it's past Google searches. You're now integrating a man that you do not know or supposedly do not know in the, you know, the the process of selling your wife, that takes this to a whole other level besides for fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. So how does a seemingly normal man with a normal childhood and normal hobbies end up fantasizing about things that sound like they're straight from a horror movie?
0: You'll, how tell me. Yeah, <laughs> we'll I will walk you through I'm dying to I know. still
1: don't get it, but I, I will oh. give you his explanation. Gilberto explained that when he was younger, he was watching a TV show where a woman was being tied up and he found himself aroused. He discovered that he had this dark fantasy and he knew it would scare people if they knew, so he kept it to himself throughout his life. Right after he met Kathleen, he began pleasuring himself to the thought of his wife being chloroformed and laid out on a platter with an apple in her mouth. Oh. I don't feel like him walking in and
0: seeing the show and then being like oh I like that is an explanation an
1: explanation for anything
0: (laughs) although I mean I've I've read that that is sometimes how kinks are born especially when you're young and you you don't quite know what you're feeling in your body and that kind of thing yeah I guess that's right it could it could have been he was experiencing an erection and then he happened to see that and it wasn't actually what caused the erection and then in his developing young mind that doesn't know any better it gets linked it gets stored in there and there's a correlation
1: forever yeah. but That's not always horrifying yeah these fantasies escalated and he discovered sites for individuals just like him he explained it's a sexual fetish it's something that i didn't choose and it's something that i live with and that i'm fine with
0: oh okay good I'm i know so glad you're okay with this Gil. <laughs> i know
1: the amount of times i would talk to myself while writing this in my room just like stomping on my keys me <laughs> like oh well good i'm, I'm good i'm happy i'm happy wait <laughs>
0: what you're so
1: flustered i just glitched out i wanted to say Gil, i'm glad you're happy with that but then i just glitched like that steppard wife when she gets water on her brain her electrical wires just freak
0: out that was hysterical
1: this is how flustered you are i have an issue i have an issue with this guy well (laughs) anyways he insists that his fantasies would never have become a reality this case is a tricky one for many reasons Goberto insisted on the fact that these were just fantasies and he never actually acted on any of it. So why was he arrested? And is it even legal to put him in prison if these were things that he discussed and never committed? Even though his argument is valid in many ways, he was found guilty in 2013.
0: Yeah, because I would argue that's premeditation.
1: Which is what a lot of serial killers end up doing, or killers of any kind.
0: Yeah, you got to start somewhere.
1: <laughs> and and a lot of them um, find the organization and the like premeditation to be like some of the most exciting parts. Yeah, so, yeah. At his sentencing hearing, he made an apology to the women who testified, aka the women that he wanted to murder and eat he said, I just hope that they know they were never in danger. I would never do the things I talked about on the internet. Never. They don't know that. (laughs) They don't know that. None of us know that. We all don't know that. Well, it's, I was even thinking about how, like if a school shooter were to, you know, have plans in his, in his locker and then people were to find that, that kid would be expelled and, and would receive a lot of punishment, like getting, you know, I don't know if you can go to jail for that. If you're, if you're, carrying out plans to shoot up a school it's
0: premeditation it doesn't matter what it is specifically like if there are signs that you are premeditating this then that's what it has to be treated as yeah
1: law enforcement isn't looking at like a, a school shooter's manifesto as like oh this is um he was this just right yeah it's,
0: that's not what it is
1: while Gilberto was locked up his wife filed for divorce and she was granted full custody of their daughter josephine but his story doesn't stop there Only 21 months into his sentence, Judge Paul G. Gardeffi of Federal District Court overturned his conviction. He stated that the things Gilberto said were just fantasy role play online and not grounds for imprisonment. So that judge is into all of this shit. He's also like, yeah, I'm on those sites
0: as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, so don't punish him. Oh my God. When he was released, he came forward and expressed that all of this ruined his life and that he hasn't been able to see his child since his wife left him.
0: Yeah, and no it's like, shit. you don't want the
1: kid anyways. What the, i not, what? Like, I'm no life <sighs> coach, but I feel like if you had taken an interest in your child and wife instead of torture and murder porn, like- we wouldn't even been here you know Yeah, he
0: ruined his own life that's on him
1: he spoke at crime con in new orleans in (gasps) 2019 what you're like i want to go no i Well, not if he not if he's there
0: (laughs) i thought that those crime con things were like specialists and stuff why would he have been there well there i i mean i don't know
1: (laughs) i don't know how to explain it but he was a speaker and he acknowledged that he knows people see him as a danger and a sick monster. But while he takes responsibility for all of the awful things he wrote, uh, he firmly believes that he didn't deserve to be convicted of conspiracy to kidnap. He said, I understand people don't like what I did, but the question here is is not liking me reason enough to have me in prison for the rest of my life?
0: If these are the reasons we dislike you, then yeah. Then yes, absolutely.
1: He explained that he often gets threatening messages from strangers saying that they wish someone would kill him. And his whole point is, you can say you want to kill me, but you didn't. Therefore, you shouldn't be punished for it, just like my case. So it's like, while there's parts where you're like, well, that is kind of valid. The point is, is this is under a complete, this isn't just a thought crime. This is, you know, some, this is what killers do.
0: Honestly, because I would say that, that his point there is a little bit valid, unless you find out that those people sending those hate messages to him are then reaching out to someone and saying, "Hey, would you be willing to kill this guy? This is where exactly. I know he lives." And this, you know, so if it's it- the fact that he was interacting with other people, third parties, um, yeah.
1: to basically sell his wife, I think it confirms that it takes it to a whole other level. Yeah. At CrimeCon, a private investigator named Catherine Townsend stated, "I'm extremely passionate about this case because I think the country is going down a dark and dangerous road if we start prosecuting people for thought crimes." You can hate Gil personally, you can think what he did was wrong, but it's these moments when defending her freedom of speech is the most important. It's easier to defend freedom of speech when you agree with everything. It's hard when it's something disturbing like this. Perhaps I'm narrow-minded, but if my husband was fantasizing about kidnapping, assaulting, murdering, and eating me and other women, I think I would need him to be in jail. (laughs) Yeah. Who is to say that these fantasies won't escalate into something real? And all of this is made worse by the fact that he is a cop. He is someone you're supposed to feel safe with. Yeah. So you may be wondering where uh, Gilberto is today and what he's doing. Yes. It is no shock that the NYPD fired him, but he has found a new career that he's hoping will make him some money. In 2018, he released an incredibly graphic and violent horror novel about a group of sadists that kidnapped two young women. The book is called... And it dives into his obsession with kidnapping and eating women but once again it's all just a fantasy he said that if this book makes money then there will be a sequel i hope it doesn't make a dime i know i almost didn't want to say the title because uh, you I'm know like, what uh, you know what you know what i'm going to do i'll bleep out bleep the title. it out yeah yeah and that is the story of gilberto valley the cannibal cop fuck that dude for real I mean, I just like, even the feeling of, you know, when she sat down thinking she was opening that laptop and she was going to see, you know, maybe some flirty exchanges with someone on a dating site or something,
0: which is horrible enough. Oh, can you imagine if you think that's what's happening? Your mind would never go to that. Never. I really like, I don't care what other people's kinks are. I don't Mm -hmm. want to kink shame, but when it comes to violence and when it comes to harm or you know uh, anything related to death and things like that defiling a body any yes. of those things i don't consider that a kink i consider no. that just a criminal fucked up there's an illness there. Ill, yeah there's a mental illness there i i shame you all day long every day this isn't having sex in an arby's like this is this is a whole other thing is that
1: well <laughs> wait what and i'm like wait Or do you think that's weird because i do too if you do <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> I it's, really hate that that was the first thing I thought of. Having Not like sex. a threesome, but like having sex in an... I have, what? Yeah, what? I need to leave my room more. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is getting to
0: me. I'm crazy. Oh my
1: God. That was crazy. What if my boyfriend heard that and he was like, so about that, the so, ending of that podcast. What if he just starts taking
0: into Arby's? He's just constantly dropping hints. Have you had the Arby's fries, babe? Let's go there. Let's go out to eat. Let's I like the atmosphere.
1: In. <laughs> oh my God. That'd be incredible. Of We're going to see
0: right through you if you do that.
1: Very transparent, babe. All right. Well, love you.
0: Love you. Bye. Bye.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreoncom Podcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley Johnson and Ana Katerina.